You're listening to Clever Entrepreneurship, Beyond the Boardroom, your source for practical, no-nonsense business advice from real business owners and professionals. I'm Laura Morris. And I'm Eva Maria Foltz. And we're two professionals tired of flowery bullshit being presented as business advice from people who don't know what they're talking about. Together, we're on a mission to bring you real talk and real advice from expert guests who will provide educational steps to building business success. No toxic positivity and no fluff. And if you sign up for our email list, which is linked in the description, we'll send you all of the actionable steps from this episode right to your inbox. So sit back, grab a notebook, and get ready to level up your business game with clever entrepreneurship beyond the boardroom. In loving memory of Dorian Scales Godby, a shining star who illuminated our lives with her radiant light, her enchanting voice, and her unwavering commitment to empowering the Black, Hispanic, and Indigenous communities. Through her remarkable entertainment company, Brown Beauty Magic, she brought forth a new era of representation, inspiring countless hearts and souls. Though she is gone too soon, her legacy of love, inclusivity, and her ferocious pursuit of every single one of her dreams will forever guide and inspire us rest in eternal harmony. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. Today we have our very first guest. I'm very excited about it. We have Garrett Murphy. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself for us? Sure. My name is Garrett Murphy. I am the owner and member manager of an LLC called Garrett Murphy Law LLC. It's a boutique law firm here in Evans, Georgia. So can you explain to us what an LLC stands for and kind of what it means to have an LLC? Sure. So an LLC is a limited liability company. A limited liability company, as its name states, is a type of company. Um, Most people are familiar with corporations, some nonprofits and some charities. Limited liability companies were started in 1977, but the state of Georgia enacted laws in 1994 that allowed um, individuals to create limited liability companies in the state of Georgia. What a limited liability company or LLC does is it's kind of a hybrid between your traditional corporation, uh, general partnerships and limited partnerships. It is a company that has a lot of flexibility, flexibility in the structure of the business, flexibility with how you manage the business from meetings, membership, distributions. So really the purpose of it is it's a hybrid entity that is built around flexibility. A lot of times, like in the business world, you see people asking, you know, their friends, like people who have no idea, or maybe they started their own business, so they're looked at as sort of a, a, a trustworthy source. Uh, do I need an LLC or should I do a, a sole proprietorship? And I've noticed people, we talked about this on our banter episode last week, where people will say, oh, well, this is what I did because, you know, an LLC, you need to make a certain amount of money for that to be something that you should do. So you should do a sole proprietorship if you don't make over X amount. So what is your uh, you know, view on that? Sure. It's a great question. So an LLC or any company really provides three areas that an individual needs to focus on with regard to should I establish a company or should I maintain a sole proprietorship? Those three characteristics are corporate record keeping, how diligent or how flexible it needs to be, taxation, is it an S-corp, is it a pass-through like an LLC, Um, is it double taxed both at the corporate level or the individual level, 
but also perhaps more importantly to the question that you asked is liability. The name LLC itself implies that there's limited liability. The nuts and bolts of an LLC, if it's done correctly, if it's managed correctly, is that the company maintains all of the liability and that it does not pass through to the individuals, to the owners, the members. In a sole proprietorship, any liability automatically passes through to the members or to the, to the individuals. So what that means in a sole proprietorship, your house, boats, cars, bank accounts, your personal assets uh, are in play uh, in the event of a lawsuit or other things require you to come out of pocket with a, an entity, whether it be a limited liability company or a corporation, the purpose is to keep that liability with the company and separate it from the individual's personal assets. So can you think of a, a reason why an S-Corp or a sole proprietorship would be uh, preferable over an LLC? So yes, from a tax standpoint, typically um, for a corporation, your traditional S-Corp, C-Corp, there's more flexibility in what to do with excess profits. What does that mean? That means a company is, the reason you create a company is because you have a vision or you have a dream or you have a product that you believe you can make money from. Okay. With an LLC, typically that money was what's called pass-through. That money, the profits pass through to its members, to its owners, to their personal, to their personal income tax, to their personal taxation. Certain levels you can get to to avoid that. With a corporation, a corporate structure, you have some uh, different strategies, tax strategies that you can take advantage of. So that's just on the tax piece. And we just spoke a little bit about the liability side as well. And when somebody comes to a business lawyer, somebody who specializes in business law, they would discuss with you or with their um, legal representative, like what the best option would be for them according to their, if I'm understanding right, their tax situation and their preferences there, and also how they want to separate their assets from their, you know, their personal assets and their business assets, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So the first thing I tell um, people that come in the door that are interested in either reorganizing their business, shaping up perhaps their entity that they already have through new documentation or revised documentation, or whether it's somebody coming in saying, hey, will you just walk me through the multiple types of entities and what would be best for me. From a tax standpoint, I am not qualified uh, to give tax advice. So one of the most important things is to surround yourself with a team. You have a lawyer that can talk about the legal side of things. You also want to have an accountant or a CPA that can look at your tax situation and make that determination for you. One of the things I see a lot with people who are starting a business or in their first year of business, they get really confused on the process of forming an LLC. They go online, they just do a Google search, and there's a lot of things that pop up. There's some good information, there's some bad information, there's people just trying to sell the, the process of doing it for them. From your standpoint and your professional standpoint, what is the best way of going about getting an LLC, like what are the websites they need to go to or should they hire somebody to kind of do it for them? Great, great question. There's a, you're right. There's a lot of, if you do a Google search, there's a lot of people that have set up an LLC for you in particular here in the state of Georgia for X amount of dollars. That may serve a certain portion of the population, but what that does not provide is customized solutions. Okay. A limited liability company is governed by both Georgia law under title 14 Chapter 11, it's simplistically called the Limited Liability Company Act. And then it's also regulated 
by the state of Georgia, the Secretary of State's office, their corporation division. Just to start an LLC, you need the first thing you need to do is submit to the Georgia Secretary of State's office via their online portal what's called Articles of Organization. For an LLC, it's called Articles of Organization. For a corporation, it's called Articles of Incorporation. This asks for information such as who the registered agent will be, the principal office address, the name of the company, and that information is all public record. You submit that with $100. Again, it can be paid online. Then the Georgia Secretary of State's Corporation Division will respond to you in typically a week, two weeks, and let you know whether it's been approved or if there's any additional information they may need. Once the articles of organization are approved, your LLC is effective as far as the Georgia Secretary of State is concerned. The next step is to figure out your operating agreement. I would argue that the operating agreement is the most important document within an LLC. This discusses what happens for contributions, distributions, if any meetings are supposed to be held, voting privileges, what happens in the event you want to sell some of your membership interest. But perhaps most important, I would argue, is that the operating agreement allows for a buy-sell provision or a right of first refusal. In other words, what happens in the event one of the members dies? One of the things we see a lot, operating agreements that don't have this type of information, buy-sell provisions, right of first refusal. In the event one of the members dies, who gets it? Who gets what? Right. And that depends on whether the, the member that passed away has a will or not. So the operating agreement can be, you know, a few pages. If you get it from somewhere online, they can be up to 40, 50 pages. But the operating agreement is essentially the policies and procedures, the backbone of how the company is going to operate. And I would argue that it needs to be very, very customized to the needs of the individual business and to the needs of the member. Is this something that you would go see a lawyer for and that you wouldn't file online or be able to establish online? Excellent question. So operating agreement is not a public document, okay? An operating agreement, you can find templates online, although admittedly, and I sound biased here, probably am to some degree, I do think you need to consult with an attorney because what you'll find online is, I've seen some pretty good operating agreements, but they're typically very generic. They don't know the ins and outs of the business. They don't know necessarily details of the individual members and the business. And when you start like kind of customizing it yourself, you kind of could get into some murky waters there where it might not cover you the same way that it should because you went through without any you know, expertise and try to do it yourself. That's right. Doug. There's an old saying, you don't know what you don't know. In meetings with clients where we set up these LLCs or, or other entities, there is a wealth of knowledge. These meetings can last anywhere from two to three hours. And most of the people that come in the office have never thought about this. So we'll leave the meeting. I want you to think about these 10, 15, 20 things. If it's a sole member, but if it's two or more members, Let's talk about these things. Here's some of them are hard conversations, some of them are easy conversations, but let's play the what if scenarios out. And I think that's where the level of custom, customization and where the legal expertise really comes in handy. So you have the operating agreement. Um, you'll also need to get a federal EIN. Each entity should have its own tax ID number. It's very simple to do online. You submit the necessary information. I would I would argue it takes 
five, 10 minutes to do. So you file your articles of organization with the state. You get your operating agreement in place. You get your EIN number. And can you clarify what EIN stands for? It's your employee identification number. So can you lay it out in terms of step one, step two, step three, for forming an LLC or a sole proprietorship? Absolutely. So a sole proprietorship, you really don't need to do anything. That is, that business just operates as is, as the person. Every Everything, liability, Taxation flows to that person, an L, a sole proprietorship. If you needed to do branding or trademarking, something like that, you go to the Georgia Secretary of State's Corporations Division. For a limited liability company, step one, get your articles of organization filed online through the Georgia Secretary of State's Corporations Division. Pay $100. Step two, get your operating agreement in place. Make sure those conversations are had. Uh, step three is get your federal EIN, employee identification number. <laughs> step four is look at local business licenses. Are you in an industry that requires you to have, if you're a contractor, do you have your contractor's license? Do you have other necessary licenses? In Columbia County, you need a business license to operate. Also, keep your CPA or your accountant involved every step of the way. I would actually consult with your accountant before setting up the entity and that way, a lot of what we do is have conversations with CPAs around town for that very purpose. We have, it would kind of, you know, the client's the, the quarterback and then the CPA addresses what kind of, you know, is it an S court? Is it an S election? And then the lawyer talks about the operating agreement, the liability side. So I would certainly can start with meeting with your CPA and your lawyer first so they can begin the communication of what's best for you. What are the key uh, legal differences between an LLC and other business structures such as um, an S-Corp or a sole proprietorship? Yeah. So an LLC, remember if I said earlier, it provides a lot more flexibility. corporate records. They need to be very diligent. They need to be written. They need to be stored. To many people, that can be cumbersome. The LLC doesn't have those strict corporate requirements that your traditional company does. But that being said, I would always say if there's a meeting, always make sure that everything's written down. Even call special meetings if necessary. It's always good to have very solid, in-depth corporate records because that can create some liability if not, okay? Um, uh, the other big thing is the taxation. Corporations can be taxed at two different levels, both the corporate level and then at the individual level. LLCs are typically taxed. It's passed through, so the income earned from the LLC goes straight to its members, to its individuals. But you then there's other ways, and again, talk to your accountant about this, but look at things like an S election, where with that election, then if you make a certain amount or depending on your individual status where you are from a tax standpoint, it may make sense for you to do that. Because when you have an LLC and it flows through to the individual, there's something called a self-employment tax, which I believe is in that 13 to 15%. And something that a lot of people forget when it comes to an LLC is versus a, a W-2 employee, right? A W-2 employee, they already get a lot of the taxes taken out of their paycheck. Well, when the money flows through from an LLC to its individual members, taxes aren't taken out. If that conversation is not had with your CPA early on, 
you can get deemed for a lot of taxes at the end of the year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you like, for, for example, I have to pay uh, sales taxes every month by, I think it's like the 20th of every month. And then I have to have a business license that I have to keep up to date. Cause like you said, in Columbia County, in our area, you have to have a business license. A lot of times people will ask for your, your business license. When you go, if you're using somebody else's property, um, they'll ask for, you know, your proof of insurance. And uh, that gets kind of um, technical too. Cause can you get like, like a insurance on your business without being an established business. So what are some things? Excellent. Great question. Yes, absolutely. Those documents not only are necessary from a legal standpoint, a tax standpoint, but also just from a pure operational standpoint. If you want a bank account, if you want insurance, you need to have all those ironclad and in place. Can you lose your LLC? Is there certain things you have to do regularly in order to maintain it? Or is it once you've got it, you've got it? Great question. Now remember, the LLC is actually governed by the state, the Secretary of State's office. Every year for an LLC, you have to pay $50 to maintain the annual registration. If that's not paid by April 1st of the next year, right? Your annual registration is due by April 1st of the following year, just $50. Then the Secretary of State's office can what's called administratively dissolve your LLC. Now they will typically give you plenty of notice, but if you were to pull up the website and do a business search, you will find tons of LLCs that have been administratively dissolved because they don't pay their $50 annual registration. And this is all public info. You can go to your state's website and see all the organized businesses. So if you're wondering if somebody that you're working with does have an LLC, which can be, you know, like an easy way to kind of save yourself some trouble, uh, you can go to the Secretary of State's website and look up the name of the owner or the organization's name, and it will say in good standing or something or active. Active compliant. Yeah, active, active compliant. And then if it's been dissolved, it will say dissolved, which doesn't necessarily mean that it got taken away. It just means that they stopped paying it, right? That's right. That's right. And there's a time frame for when you can get back in the good graces with the Secretary of State's office. But as a rule of thumb... And I look at this from a practical standpoint, just like you just mentioned. If I'm going to go do business with somebody and I'm going to enter into a contract to sell widgets or to provide a service, I want to look into the history of that business. I want to do my due diligence in that business. If an LLC or any corporation has been administratively dissolved, just like you said, you can go to Georgia Corporation's website business search and it'll tell you an entire history of that business. If there is a history that a business has been administratively dissolved three, four, five times simply because they failed to pay their annual registration, to me, that would make me want to dig a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. Something as simple, and the, the Secretary of State's website will send you an email. It is always best to have what I call a clean record with the Georgia Secretary of State's website. So make sure you stay on top of that. That's important, especially for potential investors, potential um, clients or, or, or other types of customers. And as far as like, we're talking about for-profit businesses now, what about um, nonprofits? Do, does it still work the same way for them to get set up? Strikingly similar. So in Georgia, some states allow you to have a nonprofit LLC. In Georgia, that is not the case. LLCs are for-profit. Then you can have obviously corporations that are for-profit and then what's called a nonprofit. Formation process is very similar. The naming is a little bit different. LLC, the document you file with the Secretary of State's office is called the Articles of Organization. For both a for-profit and a nonprofit, it's called Articles of Incorporation. Okay, lots of same language. For an LLC, 
the governing document is the operating agreement for a nonprofit and a for-profit company. They are called bylaws. Now, when you get into nonprofit, you start getting into IRS language. When you become a nonprofit, there's two agencies that you primarily need to deal with. You need to deal with the Georgia Charities Division, and you also need to look at the IRS. Many of you have probably heard of what's called 501c3. 501c3 is just part of the federal IRC tax code, and it allows for deductions to charitable contributions. Typically, it's educational, religious, science, health. But if your business qualifies, those that donate to your nonprofit can get deductions. And I tell you that, and I think it's really important because if you are looking to be a nonprofit with some potential caveats, you'll typically want to have 501c3 status. Consult with your CPA, consult with your accountant about that because a lot of the bigger donors, corporate donors, or even foundations, trust, high net worth individuals will donate with the understanding that they can write that off because you have that 501c3 status. So to circle back to where we were on that, there's certain language you need to have in your bylaws that meets um, IRS code sections, such as you will not use any of the funds for lobbying. You will not do it to inert to the benefit of anyone outside of the charitable realm. Um, there's very strict guidelines for you to maintain that 501c3 status. And I recommend you put that in your bylaws as well, because lots of donors, especially the ones that are looking to give six, seven figures, will want to see a copy of your bylaws and will want to see the acceptance letter from the IRS that says you have 501c3 status. Can you be a nonprofit organization and not have a 501c3? Yes, you can. Absolutely, you can. So in Georgia, you can form a nonprofit. It's called a nonprofit domestic company. And you can do that without 501c3 status. There's nonprofit that does not have 501c3 status and nonprofit that does. Both of them will get set up the same way. The only difference is the 501c3 status requires a couple extra steps that you take with your accountant to request the IRS give you that. So is it kind of like being verified by the government uh, to get a 501c3? Like Absolutely. Like it kind of vetted you a little bit more. Not that if you don't have it, you're not trustworthy, but it is kind of like a... So I'm part of a couple of nonprofit organizations and like they're not, like you said, allowed to um, go to political events um, as the organization. But if you didn't have a 501c3, would you be allowed to be affiliated with um, like uh, political uh, movements and lobbying and stuff like that? So you could. Um, that, that section, you would need to look under Georgia's Charities Act to make sure that there's you're not crossing any lines. So like basically, do you have more... Um, individual freedom as a nonprofit if you do not get a 501c3, but you also kind of lose some credibility. Absolutely. I think that's a very fair way to put it. So you're not, your reporting requirements aren't as heavy if you're a Georgia nonprofit that's not worried about having 501c3 status. Maybe there's a little bit more freedoms, um, a little more flexible, but the downside to it is those larger donors may shy away from it just a little bit. Mm -hmm. When you create a business, the articles of organization or the operating agreement and the bylaws, you're entering into a contract, legally binding contract between the individuals, the persons 
and the entity. And when you go into it with rose-colored glasses, everything's going to be great. We're going to be super, our profit margins are going to be high. We're going to be best friends forever. You know, that, that this type of stuff, it creates unanimous consent, right? If you're going to enter into a business, make sure you have provisions in place if you decide you want to have unanimous consent. What are the things that you're that are going to require unanimous consent that you vote on? What things can be handled without that? Speak to an attorney about that. Absolutely speak to an attorney about that. Another thing is not following the terms of the operating agreement or terms of the bylaws to maintain that the personal liability protection. Here's an example. Let's say there's a business of three people that sell widgets. One of them decides they want to sell their 34% interest in the company. And, you know, for whatever reason. All right, so they just turn around and say, well, whichever one of y'all wants to buy it, I'm gonna, I'll sell it to you for fair market value. Great. Well, let's say that one of the members steps up and buys it. Well, that member now has a 67% interest in the company. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And it's because they could afford to buy it, not because... They could afford to buy it. But let's say the operating agreement requires that the company have first right of refusal or both members, there's a there's a breakdown of a split. The operating agreement says, here is how you're supposed to do it. And that's not followed. You can argue that that, tran that, that interest never, that that interest transaction, that transfer never happened. This sounds like an episode of Succession, to be honest. Like, <laughs> it really is like, uh, it's something I, I feel like people think applies only to corporate world or like, you know, millionaires doing these type of transactions. But you're saying, you know, if you don't do this on like a private level, Absolutely. Like, it yeah. can be catastrophic. One of the biggest things I see is you've touched on it before. Both of you have is I have a small business. This stuff that really doesn't matter to me. No, it absolutely matters to you at 100%. Make no mistake. There is no business that is too small. If you have an LLC or if you have a corporate entity, a corporation, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, it does not matter how small you are. This stuff absolutely matters to you. Make sure you have it in place. Make sure you understand exactly what it says. Don't do it after bad things happen. Do it to protect from bad things happening. So we are going to split this wonderful talk up into multiple episodes. So stay tuned for part two, where we go over contracts and all the important information that needs to be put into contracts, stuff that can be left out and how important they are to your business, no matter the size of the business. There's some other stuff you talked on that we also will be doing in later episodes, which is talking to CPAs or accountants to talk about that side of things. And we'll also be talking to insurance agents to go over business insurance. So make sure you stick around for all those other episodes that will help tie into this one as well as you progress in your business. And we also want to thank Garrett Murphy for being here. Garrett, can you tell us a little bit about your practice and you know what you specialize in? This way people can contact you if they need your services. Sure. Yeah, I have a unique history. I was a financial advisor uh, approximately 12 years prior to becoming an attorney. So I do estate planning, but I also do litigation. I pride myself on my practice being a boutique law firm. It's not necessarily volume. It's not quantity over quality. Customer service is number one in our business, uh, in my practice. So if anybody ever has any questions or or always feel free to reach out. The website is www.garrettmurphylaw.com. Email is garrett at garrettmurphylaw.com. And remember, while we aim to provide you with practical and knowledgeable advice, it's important to do your own research and consult with a professional before making any decisions that could impact your business.
The information we provide is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal, financial, or any other professional advice. And with that, we want to thank you for tuning in to Clever Entrepreneurship Beyond the Boardroom. Until next time, keep building and growing your business.